Hello. Welcome and thank you for joining us and listening to our podcast, The God Beyond the Bible. Our podcast is released weekly each Friday. The content of each episode is based on the questions and curiosities we all have about God and the Bible. Many of our topics are considered taboo in the minds of the mainstream church. You will find our discussions to be, I think, refreshing and often far from traditional. But we don't just skirt around these complex issues, but confront them head on, and not in the way you're used to hearing them discussed on typical Christian talk shows. I'm Alan Rowland, creator and host of The God Beyond the Bible. As of the launch of this podcast, I've been a pastor for more than 35 years. My co-host is my daughter, Trayson, and our engineer, co-producer, is my daughter, Tabitha. Our mission is to encourage our audience, along with us, to open our minds to the reality that God is simply too big to be fully explored or experienced by the reading and studying of a single ancient work. In short, the Bible's not the sum of God, and to think this is to limit what He has done, is doing, and what He will do in our future. So with introductions made, thank you for listening, and let's dive into the topic of the day. And welcome, Seekers, to episode number 152 of the podcast, God Beyond the Bible, the podcast that is created by Seekers and for Seekers and encourages you to keep on being Seekers and tracing. And again, (laughs) I will mention, in case you missed last week's episode, uh, we're back. Sorry about that skip in March, but we had some sickness here and some serious sickness, and we're all doing good, and we're all better, and we're on top of the world again, so we're back to podcasting, so you'll start getting notifications again if, yes. you, if that's what you do. We're, we don't we're not, we don't nag you, push the button, subscribe, <laughs> all that, but those of you that do, you know what I'm talking about. Shout outs, Tracen. I'm sorry. I just realized one of you that's listening, I finally got your um, username, but um, 23cap, we're glad to have you listening, and assembly. We're glad to have you listening, too. (laughs) And also to our listeners in Columbus, we're glad to have you guys here as well. Hey, and listen, folks, if I listened to this podcast, I'd use an alias, too. Right. I would. I would, especially if I was still in the modern church. If I was still in maybe, the organized church, I'd be using the alias. Maybe if we were smart, we would have started out using No kidding. Maybe, maybe this is alias. There you go. Hmm. Never can tell. All right. Quote our, of the week. Quote is from Malcolm Muggeridge. He says, Every happening, great and small, is a parable whereby God speaks to us, and the art of life is to get the message. Ooh, I like that. That's very good. I agree with that. Well, today's discussion topic is parables. Uh, We're going to define that in the context of our discussion as a simple story used to illustrate a moral or a spiritual lesson as told by Jesus in the Gospels. That's confining it to what Mm -hmm. we're kind of talking about today, even though life is a parable. Everything in life is a parable. It's a teaching experience. Okay, let's go back. A parable, a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. Now, the emphasis is on a simple story here, as told by Jesus in the Gospels. Now, keeping in mind that John concluded his Gospel by informing us us that Jesus did and said many things that were never written down. And if they had all been written down, there wouldn't be enough books or libraries to contain it. And that's John 21, 25. But as for what we do have recorded, most of Jesus' public speaking consisted of stories little stories little simple stories parables we want to call them parables give them a but that's the religious that's the biblical name that's a name that we as in the really but he, he told stories he right. told mm-hmm. simple little stories that the people could relate to that's and if you look at it i never really noticed this the bulk of his public teaching were parables 
He did very little straightforward unless he was just alone with the disciples. And I'm going to be honest, in my youth, I would always dread when there would be teaching on the parables because I would get so confused at how we were getting certain things out of the stories. Well, uh, part of the commentary in the book of Matthew 13, 34 through 35 reads as follows. Quote, Jesus always used stories and illustrations like these when speaking to the crowds. In fact, he never spoke to them without using such parables. Verse 35. This fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet. I will speak to you in parables. I will explain things hidden since the creation of the world. And I have to say that I didn't even realize that verse existed. (laughs) So... Interestingly, Matthew attributes the saying as a prophecy by a prophet, but he is actually believed to be referring to the, a song of Asaph recorded in Psalms 78, verses 1 through 3, which reads, I quote, O my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I'm saying, for I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past Stories we have heard and known, stories our ancestors handed down to us. And again, I didn't know, because I will be honest, I am the world's worst prophecy student when I read things in the Bible that say, it was, pro- it was it, prophesied. Yeah, it was to fulfill the prophecy. I never know what that prophecy was or where it was from. It would be interesting. It's interesting to find that some of them, even some things that Jesus referred to, aren't in our Bible at all. Yeah, that is true. We actually, if you go back and listen to some of our early episodes where we were talking about mm-hmm. the books and how we got the books of the Bible, many quotes are from books that never made the cut. Right. Many of the examples. Now, before we get. On to the significance of parables in Jesus' teaching. Did Asaph not just give us a hint as how we obtained the writings contained in the Bible? He did. Didn't he just say, I am writing down stories we have heard, stories told to us by our ancestors? Wasn't he saying outright what many of us always suspected? And that is that many, if not all, writings are stories and events uh, and events we often want to take literal or actually stories handed down from generation to generation and then finally written down and preserved, but not in real time as they actually occurred. Yeah. Does that make sense? Is that too that's, lengthy? No, no that's what he was saying is uh, that, that these stories were <clears throat> essentially, they were our histories passed around the campfire. The Sumerian text is almost identical to the Genesis account of Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. And even the man is Adama. A-D-A-M-A. And that w- that preceded Moses. Moses was an Egyptian. He was exposed to all of those ancient writings because he was a prominent. He was the heir to the throne, Pharaoh's well, throne. So he had the best education. You think it's just a coincidence that he came up with a beginning story that was basically identical to the Sumerian text that's about 3,000 years older? What about Noah and Gilgamesh? I mean... Yeah. They're identical stories. So when you say these stories are passed down, are you saying that you believe that the stories that Jesus told are, or he's just using that same... He's using that same pattern. Pattern. Okay, that's what I was curious about. He's using the familiar. A parable is to use the familiar to kind of get you to glean... But you don't necessarily believe that the stories he was telling were hundreds of years. You think he used his own possible... Even though they were. Listen. 
you go back to the main the story that everybody takes so literally and there's so much conflict over the story of uh the rich man and lazarus mm-hmm. in the hell he lifted up his eyes he said that was actually a jewish story okay from hundreds of years from much earlier mm-hmm from sometime in the B.C. era, that was a Jewish story that meant something very different that Jesus was conveying to the Jews than we can understand today. Okay. He was, mainly, was he was mainly talking about how their greed was going to mm-hmm. inflict them and conflict them, their hmm. greed for money. And I it was like pointed directly toward them. They knew, but see, a lot of people don't know that that story, because if my sources are right, and I believe they are, and even the Jews say so, that that was a story that they, would have been that they very were familiar, familiar with. with. Which changes the whole meaning of the story. If you know the backstory, mm-hmm. that changes everything. So, and we, we suspect that. We can see it clearly. If we open our minds, we can see it clearly, the clearest with Moses. Moses was getting his information. Everybody said, well, God gave it to him and breathed it into him. Then, was Moses' story the true one? And the Sumerian that predates it 3,000, 4,000 years, was that the wrong one? Oh, that's true. Good point. Which one's wrong then? As we've pointed out, and even theologians concede, that even the New Testament stories give an account of Jesus' speech and actions were recorded by memory. Am I correct? Yes. Some many years following his death. The question is, can a story be told by memory without evolving each time it is told? I just want to ask you that. No. No. In our age... The courts and law enforcement consider the human memory to be the least reliable form of evidence, especially in cold cases that occurred decades earlier. Do you agree with this line of thinking, or are we to play the divine memory <laughs> control card to explain the human tendency out of the Bible, that these stories that circulated, then got wrote down, but, but God, that was, and even especially with the writers of the gospel, oh, it was a divine memory. But do you ever stop and think about have you ever read some of the some of the gospel accounts of what Jesus did? They were either, and we either have to say there were two separate accounts, or these guys wrote them down so differently, mm-hmm. just like the feeding of the multitude. You realize there's yes. one place he fed four thousand, and one place he fed five thousand. We all say, well, these were two different events because the two writers used different numbers and they used different descriptions of the. We don't take into account that they were two very different people. Very different people doing it by memory. Right. They may have even misremembered where it took place and yeah. when it took. They said, well, this was in a different place. Uh, Luke put it in here in this spot, and uh, and Matthew put it over here, or Mark, whoever it was, put it over here in this spot at this event. So they were two different. No, maybe they just got mixed up about where it mm-hmm. took place. Maybe one of them. They had kind of followed Jesus, whoever was giving the, the story. You know, they had kind of followed Jesus here and there and everywhere. And like, I think we were just outside of Jerusalem on the hill. But no, we were outside of Bethlehem. They just didn't have their of, smartphone to go back and no. <laughs> drop a pin Check on the it. GPS. But, you know, we have that tendency. And this is one of my favorite stories to tell. Scientifically speaking, you don't remember that bicycle wreck you had when you were five. You remember the last time you remembered and that told bicycle the story. wreck? And depending on your crowd, did you, did it evolve a little? Did you do something to make it a little funnier or make it a little mm-hmm. more serious or a little more each time? We develop the story each time we tell it, right? Without yes. even realizing because the next time, let's say that you're talking about that bicycle wreck that you had on your little red bicycle, except for something maybe misfires a little bit in your brain this time when you're telling it and you're talking about your little green bicycle. Yeah. 
from now on, that's going to be a green bicycle. And you could pass a lie detector test on it being a green bike. Because that's what you believe. You believe that. That's right. Even Matthew, if he was the actual author of the gospel attributed to him, because that's been attributed to him strictly by tradition of the church, beginning with the Catholic church. Even Matthew, because remember, there was no titles. There's nothing in it to say, hey, I'm Matthew writing this. It's only that title at the top of the page that says St. Matthew. Mm-hmm. That's true. There's nothing else in there that indicates Matthew had anything, Levi, or that he's even Levi, right? the guy we say he is. Think about that for a moment. Okay, even if Matthew, if he was the actual author of the gospel, even Matthew used great liberty in claiming he was quoting a prophet when he was actually <laughs> quoting a line from a song written by Asap or contributed by As- to Asap in the book of Psalms. Another example of how we ignore the influence of the human commentary associated with Jesus teaching that, just because Matthew said the prophet said, we automatically say, we'll quote him. Well, you know, the prophet said, how much different would it have been to said if Matthew had said, I heard in a song. <laughs> right? Hey, I mean, many great truths have been written in songs. <laughs> I'm not saying there's not prophets, Eddie. I'm not saying the Psalms don't but have no, prophets. But no, I understand. Do you understand what yes. we're saying here? Just because Matthew said, how many of us have ever looked back and see where Matthew got his quote? I haven't. I haven't. No. Matthew said a prophet did it, so a prophet must have done it. <laughs> of course, we are. We know there are those who make the claim that the Psalms were both poetry and prophecy. Well, you know what? There's a lot of secular songs that were prophetic. Oh, I watched absolutely. a movie once, and I can't even remember what the movie was, and a black woman says, this was from the 80s, and I was watching it like in 2010 or something, and the woman said, yeah, I can see that'll, ha- that'll happen when Barack Obama becomes president. And you went, I'd never heard. Yeah. Even, yeah, that's crazy. I'd never even heard of Barack Obama, and nobody had in the 80s when this movie was made, or the 90s, whenever it was. But somebody... Had went, that guy could be a president one day. So was that movie a prophetic movie? Well, it was after the fact, wasn't it? Right. (laughs) But was it intended to be prophetic? We don't know. Now back to our topic and our question. Uh, Why do you think storytelling, because that's what we're talking about here. Let's keep it on that level. Why do you think storytelling was the chosen method of Jesus to convey his thoughts on spiritual things? We are a visual people. We always have been. You know, now we have TV and we have things to look at and engage. Then they had stories, fables, imagination. So it was, I think it was all about painting a picture that they could visualize. I think we still use storytelling. I mean, I think we're losing the art. I think we're leaving it to the the professionals, Mm -hmm. like the media, Uh the movie makers. Mm -hmm. I think we're, instead of, I think we've, do you guys, I didn't mean to cut you off, keep your thought, but do you guys ever watch, PBS has got a deal that they call the storytelling or something, and people just get up and tell a story, and it's, if they didn't tell the story the way it was, it wouldn't be that, but it's about their life and about maybe Mm. their childhood and about, and they get up and they just stand up for like 30 minutes, isn't it, and, and tell a story, and it's just intriguing. You go, wow, we've lost that art. Mm-hmm. Of there individual is, story storytelling, and then I would get back to what I was going to say. There is a library in the Northeast now, around the New York area, that has Saturdays where you can check out a person for an hour. <laughs> no, then that's what they call it, and it's these typically older people, and they come and you go and you choose a person, and you both go and you sit there with chairs across from each other and they tell you stories from their life for an hour and you get to hear those stories i bet they enjoy it too 
And they do. And it's just, it's a really interesting, but what I was um, saying a minute ago is I catch myself telling stories like to Tabby's kids and stuff about in that sort of parabolic, parabolish, parabolic. Yeah. I don't know how to say that word as parables of, okay, well, I know you're going through this, but let me tell you something that happened to me one time and I'll let you decide, Yeah, you know, the outcome of that story. And do you think the, and we're going to talk about that, but do you think then the, uh, do you think that the uh, uh, attraction to that is, is that I'm not telling you how to think, I'm giving you something to think about? Yes. There's a difference. See, in religion, we're wanting to tell you how to think. Mm-hmm. Anymore, we to become about, even we'll take the parables, and we're going to talk about that. We'll take the parables and break them down and say, here's how you need to think about that parable. Right. This is what it means. Jesus just threw it out there. Okay. Uh, occasionally, we have evidence that after Jesus told one of his famous parable stories, the disciples would come to him for a private interpretation of the parable. Why might we speculate that Jesus didn't break these stories down for the masses as he occasionally did for the private group. Look at how we interpret the Bible because we've been, we've had it broken down for uh-huh. us. I mean, it's that's what we do now, thing. isn't yeah. it? Yeah. We're trying to break it down instead of putting the parable out there like Jesus did and make of it what you want. You can make of it anything you want to, but instead we say, here's what we need you to make out of it this. It would be the same. Like Tracen said, using that story and saying, okay, now here's what you needed to learn from that story. Yeah. And then, exactly. And then it's lost its power, really, mm-hmm. because they're not going to sit and debate. About because that's your thought, not their thought. Exactly. And let's be honest. Everyone is in a different place in life. Everyone is going through something different. So it's just like Tracen and I can read the same book. <laughs> and what I get from the book is totally different from what she, but we both learned something. But were either of you right or wrong? Or was both of those open for interpretation? Was both that, of them, yes. Did the yeah. author intend for that to be open for interpretation and i probably if you read the same book you would get something different but it would be meaningful to you and i think that you should you know i think that jesus specifically used the parables to not only promote your own you know sitting and thinking it through Mm -hmm. but also to promote discussion within your community and because if you're discussing it you're talking about it you're working through it and that was something (coughs) that was typical in judaism jewish teaching typically taught you to ask questions mm-hmm. and work your way through it by speech oh so you're jewish now <laughs> sure, <why not? laughs> no, no i just they always ask it in a question you know yeah. everything sounds like a question yeah. with it so uh to be honest when jesus used a story or a parable to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson wasn't he intentionally leaving the interpretation open to the listener Mm-hmm. Unlike our modern methods in the organized church where we want to be sure the listener shares our collective interpretation of the story. Mm-hmm. Think about that for a moment. I'm just going to tell you the story. Do with it what you what you will. Oh, we can't do that. I need to tell you why I'm telling you this story and what this story means. And so you can write it down and make a religion around it. Exactly. So you can make a rule out of it. Isn't it a matter of judging whether or not you think your audience has the capacity to decipher a lesson that is meaningful to them personally? Now, think about this, and I'm not picking on because I've been a pastor. I was a pastor and preached for a lot of years. I insulted the intelligence of a lot of people because I went to minute detail to tell them exactly why they should think about this this way. Uh, And Jesus was so comfortable, just throw it out there and walk away. Never leave it to chance. Always drive the point home. Make sure they get the point. Yeah, make that point 10 different ways, 10 different times. Mm-hmm. 
In short, Jesus seemed to trust that his listeners would come to a meaningful conclusion to the point of the story. But today, does it seem like the church community doesn't trust the general population to come up with the correct conclusion? They do not. At, in any way, shape, or form, trust that you're going to come to the right conclusion on anything. And you can see that in... More back to Don't the, you later. go watch that movie because it'll lead you down the wrong path. Or we're back or, to, was it in the last episode where we talked about the literature? And yes. The, you know, the spiritual, but it all has to be inside the boundaries. Everything oh. has to be inside the boundaries of what we believe. And you really don't grow when we're back to that, but we really don't grow if we don't go outside any of our boundaries. If we don't get out any side of our comfort, outside, of, we don't grow in any area of our life that we never get outside our comfort zone. Okay, was was this part of the beauty of Jesus' method of teaching? It could speak to a dozen different people going through a dozen different challenges of life. In a dove, it could speak to them in a dozen different ways, depending on their unique circumstance. I think that's the beauty of any excellent method of teaching, or even storytelling. When no matter where you're at, you can go back and read the same story, and it means something new. So isn't that, isn't that kind of being relative to your audience than yes. a good story? And another thing I was going to say a while ago where you're talking about why they use stories, we should use, we actually do that. We carry this tradition of telling stories. That's how we relate our history and everything. We're just telling stories. Mm, uh-huh. Personally, when we tell things, we're telling a story because we're telling a history. Uh, and we're wanting to preserve that history. When we put it in a story, you guys will remember some of my stories. Blake and Bailey will remember less of my stories. If I'm around for Blake and Bailey to have kids, my great-grandkids are going to remember very little of anything I have to say. But I still quote my parents. Sure. I still quote my grandparents. I tell stories that they told me. Why do I do that? Because I learned, and that story was impact. My granny could have sat down and said, now, son, you do this, this, and this. That would have never stuck with you. But she could tell me a story. And I'd remember that story. And she trusted me to come up with the right conclusion. I always go back to the... Or to learn the right lesson. (laughs) The Greeks had a saying that every person dies twice. Once when their soul departs from their body... And again, the last time their name is spoken. And I think that's what storytelling is in a lot of our modern specifically is you're, you're keeping those histories and those people alive by carrying forth their legacy a little bit farther. Are we ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. Is it possible that a person might not be able to discover the deeper spiritual lessons hidden in the parables because we can't objectively listen to them because our particular religious affiliation has already told us what the proper interpretation and the meaning of the parable is. In other words, we read the teachings of Jesus with a religious bias without even realizing it. Yeah, I I do. And I still do to this day. I read it. And, And here's the other thing about when you tell a story and you just let it lay there. And let everyone come up with their own, gleam their own thing from it. If you tell me the story and then you tell me what to believe and I disagree with you, that's all I'm going to focus on is that story is absolutely no good because what you just said yeah. is wrong. Is wrong. And yeah. I, or in my opinion, it's wrong. Mm-hmm. And I don't. I, I always go back. And that's my to... biggest problem with some of the parables now is we have taken 
Um, and the meanings are truly, to me, so much deeper than what we've given them face value in the modern, yeah. you know. A, a good one for, and I know dad has his own example of this, but the parable of the sowing of the seeds where some land on fertile ground, mm-hmm. the birds snatch up. And we always use that one as a evangelical yeah, in an an evangelical sense. And I listened to someone who said, I, you know, I always see this as what we leave behind when we walk through life. You know, some people, we really leave a strong presence in their life forever, even if we don't realize it. So he it. made it about the sower, yeah, not about the seed. Mm-hmm. And it just, it kind of pretty, blew my mind because I was like, wait, I, I there are it. other ways? I did that. Well, I, I did it once and I taught in this once and it wasn't very popular, but I taught, what if it's, let's, let's remove the evangelical yeah. part of this that we're trying to win. That's people, that's the gospel. That's the gospel being preached. And some of it falls on hard hearts. I said, let's say that's every word from God to a believer. Ooh. Some of it falls on stony ground and the birds grab it away. See, some people aren't ready. There's places in our life we're not ready to hear certain things, so the birds carried away quickly. Some of it falls in fertile ground, and it's what think about that. That could be every person on everything they ever hear or taught. Mm-hmm. That's true. But if we automatically make it an evangelical story, we've taken any other possibility away from. Or if we make it solely what you just said, or solely oh, what yeah, Tracy yeah, just true. said, where we have the same it's problem. It's no longer a multifaceted, multidimensional mm-hmm. story. It's just words on a page. Right. It's two-dimensional. Okay. The best example of what we're talking about is a parable found in Matthew 16, 1 through 9, that you're never going to hear anybody preach on, I don't think. Uh, Matthew 16, 1 through 9, Jesus told this story to his disciples. Here I go. This is Jesus telling this story. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called the manager in and said, What is this I hear about you wasting my money? Get your report in order because you're going to be fired. The manager thought to himself, Now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches and I'm too proud to beg. Oh, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. So he invited, now this is Jesus, remember, telling this story. So he invited each person who owed his employer money to come in and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe my boss? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons of olive oil. And how much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man. I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat was the reply. Here, the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. The rich man had to admire, Jesus is still a part of the parable, the rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of the light. Now, if the parable ended there, we could say, okay, we get something out of this. But then Jesus goes on and says, here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then, when your earthly possessions are gone, they'll welcome you into an eternal home. Someone's playing that. Someone is, Ricky Ricardo, explain that to me. (laughs) Because it very much sounds like he's saying you can go ahead and cheat somebody as long as you're doing it to help somebody else. Or helping yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I guess I've never paid attention to 
You don't hear a lot of talk about that particular uh-uh. parable, do you? Because it kind of... So I don't guess anyone wants to comment on exactly what the lesson's supposed to be. Oh, I know what the religious... Te- I know what the right, theologians... Right. We've got to make it fit the storyline. So. It kind of sounds like always look out for number one as the meaning of that. It's just an interesting parable. And maybe Jesus just did it, said, I'm going to throw them one out there. That they're going to think about... So to our listeners out there, if you guys have a really cool interpretation of that, send us an email, leave a comment. We'll put a thread up on this. And I'm not saying you're not going to tell me anything, but if you just go back and dig this up out of your religious. Yeah. If you go to your commentaries and start digging this out of the commentary, you're going to get the religious point of view, which is going to support a particular absolutely take mm-hmm. on jesus and, and who god is but i'm not telling you not to do that i'm just saying i've got commentaries and stuff i can go but there may be a take on this that that i'm sure there's a take on this jesus meant something by this mm-hmm. uh anything else i think that's it uh are we not able to glean from it because it violates our particular religious bias is that why we can't understand it yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I just can't because it re- it violates our religious bias yeah. because he's actually saying you did a smart thing there, old boy. Yeah, and it kind of you <laughs> feel the rubber against, band stretching yeah, and goes, snapping in your head, going, it. "Nope." Yeah. All right. Well, until next time, as always, may the Most High's unconditional grace, peace, and love be on, in, and radiate out from each of you, our fellow listeners, from all of us here at God Beyond the Bible. Did you enjoy listening to God Beyond the Bible? Do you have an idea for an episode? Connect with us today. Visit our website at godbeyondthebible.com, all one word, or send us an email at email at godbeyondthebible.com, or you can visit us on Facebook. Just type God Beyond the Bible into the search bar.